Let me go ahead and read this for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's say a prayer and dive into God's word for us this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would remind us in this moment that this is your chosen means of your people hearing your living voice uh, through your word, through your word properly taught and understood. Holy Spirit, would you give us wisdom uh, so that we would, this word would be properly delivered and that your, your word would also be properly received and ultimately so that we would hear your voice speaking into each and every one of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're back in our series in the book of Hebrews, and um, the last time we were in Hebrews, we came to the first part of chapter 10, where we kind of came to this grand summary of uh, chapters 1 through 9, where we've been learning and hearing about, uh, in the past five months, um, the main theme of the book of Hebrews, and that is Jesus is better. Um, here's, a, here's a summary once again. In Christ, we now have the better and truer and surer way to God that was never open to anyone before, before Christ came. Uh, nothing on earth could, could give anyone any level of confidence uh, to come before the very literal presence of God. No human priest, no physical temple, no animal sacrifice, no, no amount of law-keeping could draw humanity uh, to God's presence. And in the same way that no human being can withstand the, the, even just the presence of the, the sun in space, uh, we cannot withstand the holiness of God Almighty as, as morally fallen human beings who have broken God's law. We've lost our grip on God's goodness, and along with that, just every, every blessing, every gift that God wants us to enjoy, uh, our peace, our security, our identity, and love and fellowship with our Maker. Um, these are all characteristics of God that he wanted us to enjoy by having fellowship with him. These are not things we're entitled to. These are not things that we should uh, uh, expect to have apart from God. These are all things we have in dependence to, in, in being dependent upon him. Um, but we became, in our rebellion, cosmic orphans detached from everything that's good. But God has made a way. He's made a way to establish uh, a relationship with us once again through the Old Covenant, with the Mosaic Law, through temple worship. And through that, He showed us where we want to get to, the most holy place. The holy place and the most holy place. This is how we want to aim towards coming back to God. But the problem was, that never really actually had the power to lead us all the way in. It reminded us of the, the chasm between 
sinful humanity and, and a holy God. And as the author says, author of Hebrews says, therefore no amount of temple worship or law keeping can, get, can actually remove our sins from us, can actually cleanse us and make us truly right with God. And he says in Hebrews 8.13, turns out the true purpose of all these things in the Old Testament that God had put in place in the Old Covenant was so that by seeing those things, we will see the shadows of the truer and better thing that is coming, and that's Christ. That was all just foreshadowing the coming of Christ in whom we have the better temple, the better curtain, the better high priest, and the better sacrifice. Why is he better? Because he can actually cleanse us from our sins and actually draw us nearer to the actual presence of God. So, so the author says, now that the actual Savior is here, you can focus on him and not on his shadows. Let the, let the shadows pass away. Let the shadows become a thing of the past. Focus on Christ and his death and his blood, his resurrection, his ascension to the throne, and his return on the final day. Not on temple worship, not on human high priests, not on animal sacrifices. Focus on Jesus. I don't know if it's because it's the fall season or what, but I'm, these days I'm loving um, everything hashtag Edinburgh. Um, it's like any photo from Edinburgh I'm, I'm, I'm loving. Um, it just makes me want to go there, just be there and breathe in the, the Scottish air. Um, and Lord willing, maybe one day I'll get to visit. I'll get actually see all the architectural, the beauty and the landscape in person. And if and when I do, uh, you know what I won't be doing when I'm there anymore? Is looking at pictures of Edinburgh. Right? That stops the moment I get there. Why? Because I'm looking at the real thing. I'll be looking at the real thing. To the Jewish Christians, the author of Hebrews is saying, you're, you're in Edinburgh. Stop scrolling hashtag Edinburgh when you're in Edinburgh and enjoy the real thing. Christ is here. Look to him. Consider him the truer and better high priest, the true and better offering, the true and better tent who actually brings you to the most holy place, the presence of God. That's the summary. And we have a... Uh, Summary here, beautifully stated from verses 19 to 21 in our passage today. Uh, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. you You can't miss this, the way that he equates the temple with the body of Christ. He's the truer and better temple. And since we have a great priest in him, not in the Levites, in Christ, over the house of God. Right? That's the summary. And then what comes after that is, therefore let us, the three let us statements that open up this last part of the book of Hebrews. It says here, we have confidence now to be received by God, not as sinners, but as forgiven, justified sinners through the new and living way that Jesus opened for us. Right? The Son of God became a human being. So, humanity would have a way back to their maker. It's not a way that we've paved back to him. God has paved that way to us 
That's why it's the new way. And this Christ, he's alive. He is alive. He's risen from the grave. He's ascended into the heavens. He sits at the right hand of God. That's why he, this is a living way. Because Jesus is living, and he is the way. And this is what Christians most fundamentally believe, that Jesus is alive. He's made a way for us back to God. And that way is alive. It's living. It's open to you now. Now, in light of that, we now have some very good, rational, coherent reason to live life in the here and now in such a way that sets us apart from, completely from the rest of the world. We want to share it with the world, but it sets us apart from the world. There is now a significant, there ought to be a significant difference in the way that Christians live their lives and non-Christians live theirs. And what I hope to show you is from the rest of the passage, drawing these elements out so that for those of you who are Christians, you would long to manifest these things more in your life. And for those of you who are not yet Christians, we want to help you feel invited into this, this way of life because this is offered to you as well. So here are the three points for today. The Christian life is and should be set apart by a confidence, an assurance, and a persistence. A confidence that no non-Christian has, an assurance that no non-Christian has, and a persistence that no non-Christian has. These three. So first, let's take a look at Christians being set apart by a confidence. Okay? Now, let me start with a quick word about what this confidence is not about. Okay? Let's start with that. I don't mean by this confidence, this Christian confidence, that somehow we will, soon as we receive Christ, stop sinning overnight. Suddenly, all the problems are disappearing. All the suffering in life, gone. And every day, you just feel like the best version of yourself. That is not Christian confidence. And if anybody sells you that, preaches that to you, run for the hills. <laughs> run for the hills. Our confidence is more like the one that's found in Psalm 23. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. That's the confidence. Not that I get to avoid the valley of the shadow of death. But the, the valley of the shadow of death has nothing against my God, and my God is with me. And his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Despite sin and temptation, despite being surrounded by sickness and death and the enemies of God, I will still, in the end, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's, that's our confidence. It's a confidence that no matter what happens in life, you know you will still reach eternal life. Whatever happens to your earthly home, you will reach the house of God. You know that you're safe and secure in Christ, your Savior. That's Christian confidence. So the invitation here is not to draw near to God and you'll find material wealth, draw near to God and you'll find physical health, Draw near to God and you will be happy as defined by the world. The invitation is draw near to God for God. Draw near to God and you'll be rewarded with God himself. 
this is one of the most amazing privileges we have as Christians who live on this side of the grave, is we can confidently draw near to God himself in whatever circumstance. And this is not a quantitative thing, like, you know, are we six feet apart from him? Are we three feet apart? It's a qualitative thing. We're now drawing near to God confidently as children of God. Children of God. That's the meaning of our nearness. We draw near like children. Christians get to draw near to God like they draw near to this most loving and affectionate heavenly Father who adores His children. You know, as much as I love my kids, I, I still have, you know, moments of anger and short-temperedness, and my kids, they, they know it, they, they've seen it. And we have these confessional sessions where I confess my sins to them and they pray for me so that I will be, you know, as James says, uh, cleansed and healed. healed. And I, I do want my kids to know daddy is not sinless. I want them to know daddy needs grace. Right? And so they would think, oh, so do I. If daddy needs grace, then I would need grace too. But interestingly, as much as they know I'm a sinner, as much as they know I'm flawed, that has never hindered them never, ever hindered them from coming to me with just the smallest, the most mundane and irritating, insignificant thing in their lives. Like just yesterday, my son asked me, um, like for the 20th time, I think, in the past two weeks, I'm pretty sure, Appa, do you know what the strongest animal in the world is? And I know the answer by now. But I know he wants to say the answer to me, so I would, I was, what is it? It's an ant. It can lift up to 10 or 50 times its own, own weight. And he's told me that so many times, uh, but he's still so fascinated by it, and he just, he's just got to tell it to somebody. And it doesn't matter, like, if, if I'm on an important phone call, if I'm talking to mommy about something important, if I'm on the computer doing work, if I'm sleeping. He would just interrupt whatever, whatever I'm doing and ask me that question. Appa, do you know what the strongest animal in the world is? And, and plus a thousand other less, even less significant things. And you know, the, I let him. <laughs> I, I, like, it's like he's entitled to it because he is my son. I may not find it interesting, but... I kind of find it interesting that he finds it interesting. <laughs> He's interesting to me. And, and, I'm, and I'm letting him have access to me. And I'm not a perfect father. How much more will your perfect heavenly father receive you for anything at any time with the greatest of joy in his heart because you're just coming to him? This is the confidence we have as children of God, that we can draw near to Him knowing He welcomes us, He cares about us, He, he is mindful of us, and, and we can go to Him anytime with anything, and He'll embrace us. If you are a Christian, you get to pray, not simply, dear God in heaven, old man in the sky. You pray, our Father in heaven. You pray, our Father in heaven. So go to your Father with confidence. Be a Christian. Enjoy this confidence you have in Christ. Draw near to your heavenly Father with all things great and small. 
And it says we get to do this with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's the second point. What also sets apart from the rest of the world is an assurance of faith. Now let me again begin by saying what this assurance is not. Okay? This assurance is not something that you, you conjure up yourself with a lot of self-determination and, and effort. Okay? If I just try to reassure myself of this truth by the way I live or feel, that's not what this assurance of faith is. Take a look at verse 22 where it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The verbs here, sprinkled, sprinkled clean, and washed with pure water are both passive verbs, meaning they're not things you do. They're things that are done to you. They're done to you. It's a gift that you receive, not a, not a wage that you earn. We don't make it happen. God makes it happen to us. Okay, we can't wash ourselves clean by our own works. Nobody gets, gets to God that way. And this has been the entire theme of the book of Hebrews. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to your sacrifices. Don't look to your works. Don't even look to your, your own feelings. Don't look to yourself at all. Don't even look to your faith as a source of your assurance. Look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. Don't put your faith in your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. The quality of Jesus should be your focus, not the quality of your faith. Consider him. Think upon him. Turn your thoughts away from yourself. Turn your thoughts to Christ. That's where you find your true assurance of faith. Nothing in this world, nothing in this world will somehow free you from, from you making yourself your reference point. Whereas somehow you feel like you have to be the source of your own assurance. How am I feeling? How am I doing? How, what have I achieved? What have I said? What have I done? Only this frees you to put your assurance in someone else other than yourself. And notice here how it talks about both your heart and your body being cleansed. Your, your heart is sprinkled clean and your body is also washed with pure water. The heart here represents your, your inner being, your deepest desires, and your body represents the rest of you, meaning the rest of your bodily life, the bodily acts that you, you perform, everything you do now till the day you die and acquire the new body that Christ will give you. Until that point, right, you have your inner body, the soul, and then you have the external body, inner heart and external body and it says here both both of these things are cleansed your body and soul this has to be a part of your assurance of faith that you are received in your entirety both body and soul through the cleansing and washing of christ he claims all of you he sanctifies all of you christians sometimes have this mistaken notion that okay god has sanctified my heart but it's up to me now to sanctify my works. Right? Now that I have a clean heart, it's up to me now to offer to God good deeds. But if they're not good, he would not want them. That's not what this says. He's cleansed you and he's washed you, both body and soul. What you are in your heart, what you do with your hands and feet, 
Your whole life he claims as his own. Your whole life is cleansed by his blood. So you can fully, rest fully assured what you've done in the past, what, you've, what you're doing in the present, what you'll do in the future. doesn't matter. Christ claims all of you. He cleanses all of you. So there are times when the enemy will want you to question your relationship with God, make you doubt your assurance of salvation based on the quality of your obedience, based on the quality of your lifestyle, your morality. But the author of Hebrews is telling us if you, if you only look to the quality of your, your behavior, your own, your own works and your performance, then you will, rest, you will not be able to rest at all. But if you start looking to Christ and what he's done for you, and your assurance is drawn from him, your, comp, your assurance is untouchable. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past or even what's been done to you in the past. God has claimed you as his own, he has loved you to the point of bleeding and dying for you. And this is your new value. Right? Like the hymn says, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. That's your value. You are from head to toe, body and soul, God's very own possession. And this is how you know you're valued. Not in saying, I am what I prove myself to be. No, I am what God has proven himself to be for me. That's where your value is fixed. That's where our assurance is. One of my favorite professors, and, and to me, I think one of the best preachers, uh, a guy named Reverend Mike Francis, he would say this, God is not so much calling us to draw near to him with our best selves. God is calling us to draw near to him with our whole selves. Not your best self but your whole self. Uh, we, don't, we don't even give ourselves this much grace. We tolerate only the best parts of ourselves. And we find the rest of ourselves intolerable, right? God is different. He wants all of you more than you want it yourself. This is the assurance we have in Christ. God saying to you, bring all of you to me. Not just the good, also the bad. And let me heal that part of you. Let me restore you from the bad and right what is wrong. Let me walk with you through that. Let me counsel you through that. Because I'm here to claim all of you, not just the best of you. This is the sweetness of God's grace that stems from this true assurance of faith we have in Christ. This is what it means to look to Jesus and not to our own works. And this is what draws us nearer and nearer to God. If you are a Christian today, and, and let's say you've forgotten this, I would really encourage you to return to this assurance. How do you do that? By identifying the, the other sources of assurance that you've been, you've been turning to, things that you've been chasing after or lusting after or, or believing that is your path to fortifying your self-worth and getting acceptance and approval, right? return to God, return to Christ as a source of your assurance. For those of you who are not Christians, and as you're hearing this, as you're listening to this, I just want you to know the, the preaching of God's word is literally God's very personal way of inviting you into this, okay? to receive this assurance of faith. 
this assurance of, of a love that says, I want not just the best of you, but all of you. I want to know you for all that you are and restore you to your true self. You can receive this by faith and repentance today. And you can be identified as a child of God. This is the assurance that Christians have. This is the assurance that anyone can receive by faith in Christ. Now, lastly, there's the final two let us statements that um, show us that Christian, Christians are also to be set apart by a certain persistence. That's the last point. A persistence that sets Christians apart from the world. Take a look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Okay. Uh, the confession of our hope here, simply put, is knowing that there is nothing more precious to you and valuable to you than your relationship with Jesus, without wavering, meaning you're not giving yourself to, to, to anything else that you consider more precious and more valuable. When you do, you return very quickly. You're not falling away. There is no other thing that you confess as a more worthy place to put your hope in. Now, it also says that's possible. That happens not because we are faithful, but because he who promised is faithful. Right? In other words, we persist in holding on to God. We hold fast to Jesus because he is persistent in holding fast to us. He is faithful. Okay? And that's a very important first part, the foundational key to this. And then moving on now to verses 24 and 25, Given that 23 is true, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to loving good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there's the logic. Okay? Christ is holding fast to you. And you can now, therefore, hold fast to your community. Right? Based on his persistence, in holding fast to you, hold fast to one another. Now, it says, let us consider. Um, I, I didn't notice this until I, I read this commentary by Leon Morris recently, who noted that it doesn't say here, let the leaders of the church consider. Let the pastors consider. It says, let us consider, as in all the church, all the saints, every single Christian, young and old, let us consider. Each of you have the responsibility to consider this, how to stir up one another. Or in another translation, to stimulate one another to love and good works. The responsibility is on you to consider how you can stir up those in your local congregation to love and good works. Who's someone you know right, around you Who's in need, who might be in need of love and good works. Have you considered this? Who is inactive and in need of being stimulated by good works and by love? Have you considered that? And, and the word consider, by the way, doesn't mean, uh, you know, would you consider doing this? Maybe, potentially. Right, we studied this back in Hebrews 3, um, where it says, consider Jesus. 
katanoeo. It, it means to think deeply, intentionally, even strategically, fending off distractions that cause you to think about something else. Consider Jesus that way. And here we're told, consider others. How we can stir up others. How we can intentionally, strategically, with a plan, stir up brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so to love and good works. Okay. Um, if you really think, it's, it's, it's really amazing the more you think about it, how convenient just life has become for us and how much of the, the stuff in life uh, is automated, right? Um, studies are showing now that these conveniences are actually crippling us in all sorts of ways. Um, it's like if you, if, you have, if you have a cell phone and all the, all the phone numbers of people are saved, you don't practice that part of your brain that would otherwise be exercised to memorize phone numbers. Okay. Um, one thing I like to use on my iPhone is the, the voice dictation in Korean, because I'm not very good with writing Korean, but I can speak okay, so if I dictate it, it would just write it for me. Well, what am I missing out there? Writing skills, right? It's become a part of, it's a, it's a crutch for my brain. And it says all kinds of stuff like this is happening to our bodies now, especially when it comes to our emotional and mental health. We, we fall into this very dangerous, false illusion that relationships should be just as convenient and automated. Relationships should be just as easy as online shopping. And that's a problem because that's not real life. People are not convenient. <laughs> and Building a friendship with sinners, not convenient. Securing your marriage with someone that you live with for the rest of your life who's, who's a sinner, not convenient. Raising children who are immature and are entirely self-absorbed, not convenient. This verse is about this reality that we live with, with real people and how we can still persist in relating to these real people in real life. And God is telling us, church is the one place on earth where this reality is placed before us as a priority. Let us consider this. Let us not give up on this. Let us not ever neglect this. And we have a great cheerleader in Christ who is persistently holding on to us saying, don't give up like I'm not giving up on you. Don't neglect others the way I'm not neglecting you. Persist in this the way I'm persisting for you. I want to challenge you to take this Lord's Day and sit down either on your own or with your family member and open up a journal and just write down maybe three names three names that you know from church. It can be also outside of church. And just consider, how can I bring more love and good works into this person's life? And don't just come up with one thing. You know, consider a bit more. Come up with the second thing and the third thing. Think a little progressively, strategically, persistently about how you can stir up someone else to love and good works. Let's actually put this, begin to put this to practice. 
Now, when it says not neglecting to meet together, as is a habit of some, that's describing this constant and habitual movement in one's life. Okay, it's, it's almost redundant. Don't neglect to meet together, as is a habit of some. Make a habit of meeting together. And this leads to, it says, encouraging one another. Okay, meeting and encouraging go hand in hand. Meeting and encouraging go hand in hand. And this is one of the things that Lynn and I say to each other the most, I think, after we come home from a church meeting or uh, get offline after a virtual meeting. One of, one of us would ask, you know, how was the meeting? And I think the thing that we've said the most often and truthfully is it was really encouraging. It was really encouraging. And here's why. And then that's, that sharing becomes an encouragement as well. Meeting and encouraging go hand in hand. Okay? And here's another challenge for us because we live in America and we love privacy. We love individuality. We love consuming things on our own. And we have to start, if, we're, if we are this, if we are the Hebrews 10 people, we've got to start at some point seeing that less as a something, something we're entitled to and less, more of a, a spiritual battlefield that we have to confront so we can actually put on more generosity and hospitality and make those our core values. Not, not bringing in American values into the church but scriptural values into the church. We have to intentionally invite others into our lives and be invited into others' lives as well. And I know we're in the middle of a pandemic and there are limitations, so let's consider. Let's consider. Use your discernment. Think about how, when, where, for whom you can begin to do this. And I just want to conclude with encouraging you to show up to and meet and gather uh, in two of, of these most biblical and essential settings. One is, of course, right here, Sunday worship. On the Lord's day, on the day of his resurrection, when the Lord of our Sabbath rose from the grave, rose from that ultimate place of restlessness, or whether you're online, making Sunday worship your most consistent and sacred pattern in your life, not ever neglecting it, right? unless it's out of necessity, unless it's seasonal, right? Not making a pattern, not making a habit out of neglecting your Sunday. Right? Come in here, God's call to worship. Come and shed your, your idols, the, the, the false refuges that you've been turning to. Come and sing the good news. Hear the good news. Respond with thanksgiving and offering. Receive the benediction from God and be sent out again with a renewed sense of purpose. Make this a priority. The other thing that is so important is prayer. If, I'm going to try to sound nice as I say this. If God has said pray without ceasing and you've ceased to pray, you're not living a Christian life. We have to pray with one another. Praying with one another is how we learn to pray better when we're alone. It informs us of how to pray for the kingdom needs and not my personal needs. Uh, You can't tell me that you're living for the kingdom of God if you're not praying for God's kingdom people. 
Uh, if, if all we pray for is ourselves, because we are not aware of the needs of others, that's not seeking first the kingdom of God, that's first seeking the kingdom of me. Prayer, therefore, infuses us into our lives, into our thoughts and our hearts, God's thoughts and God's heart. So, join the church in prayer. Join the weekly prayer meeting. Pray with your cell groups. Of course, pray with your family. Right? You don't have to be experienced, especially to church prayer meetings. Just show up and you'll be led. Meet and you'll be encouraged. And I know it can be a struggle to pray. I struggle to pray. I don't know how KM members do it. Every morning, 6 a.m., I don't know how they do it. <laughs> I can barely make it once a week. I struggle to pray. But let's be honest about the difference between struggling to pray and neglecting to pray. Because those are not the same things. Okay? The apostle is here saying, don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Let's pray as a church. And as for this part about all the more as you see the day drawing near, what is the day? It's the day of Jesus' second and final coming. That day is coming. Prayer is a way of preparing for that day, preparing for that eternal reality, that huge cosmic event that would make everything here on earth that people think is real is actually less real compared to what's coming when Jesus establishes the new heavens and new earth and everything will be changed. We will be changed. Our bodies will be changed. All will be made right. We'll all be reconciled to God when the king returns. And so we are to rehearse that kingdom, announce that kingdom, make visible that kingdom now. We're not to persist in, in securing in this life something that won't persist in the life to come. Let's remember that through our gathering, through our worshiping, and through our prayers. Remember these words from C.T. Studd. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this, this encouragement you've once again given us to find our confidence and our assurance in your Son. I pray that you would lead us to that today and turn us away from the false sense of confidence we have and the false places we turn to for assurance and find all these things in Christ alone. And as we do so, God, may we find in his faithfulness, in his persistence, his perseverance, all the motivation we need to be faithful and persistent in the way we love one another here. We confess, Lord, we have too easily given up. We confess, Lord, we have been too easily discouraged, too surprised by inconveniences. Mature us, God. Help us to see reality as you see it and equip us for that reality. Mature us towards that end. Through your word, through the worship with your church, through the prayers and all the spiritual disciplines that you urge us to practice. May we continue to gather, continue to encourage one another, especially during this season when people are beginning to neglect and enter into a habit of neglecting uh, one another. Uh, may we not fall into that pattern. May we reverse that now and by your help invite those who are inactive, who need stirring up, 
into this living and active way, this new and living way that you've opened for us, this place where we see the coming kingdom of God most clearly. May we be those who call others into, into this house, into this way of life. Use us, Lord, to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.